So I hope you guys uh, came prepared. Chapter one, I'd like to try to cover it. You know, I, I, I kind of, you know, pastors have, um, what is it called? PMS. Post message sickness syndrome. What is it? You know, where you're always kicking yourself after a Sunday of what you could have said or should have said or would have said. And, um, and last Sunday I started that, you know, like, oh, I didn't get into what I wanted to. I took so long for the introduction and it was boring or whatever. And I just felt like the Holy Spirit gave me a piece that it was what he had for us. And so if you didn't get it to, to go through the Revelation study, go back to uh, the messages recorded on Facebook and you can get it there. I want you guys to stand with me. I know I just asked you to open your Bibles and all those things. You're all comfortable. I apologize. But I want you to stand with me. How well, I don't know, again, how well you guys can read this, but this is um, our, part of our introduction to the book of Revelation, something we're going to go through for a little bit, because I, I think the book of Revelation has a very kind of daunting tax feel to it. A lot of people avoid it. Martin Luther, um, he, he, he wouldn't even read it or study it. He wrote commentaries on all the, all the books of the Bible, and he just said when it comes to Revelation, it wasn't even necessary. It's a closed book, and we don't need it. Now, Martin Luther was absolutely right on with the Reformation, but he missed that one. And so, and again, when I talk to people about the book of Revelation, that with all the symbols and things that are in it, that it's very hard to understand. But I want to tell you guys, you ready? The book of Revelation is not hard to understand. It's the only book that comes with its own divine outline. Write the things which were, chapter, the things which are, chapters 2 and 3, the things which will be chapters 4 through 22. Chapters 5 and 6 are the rapture and a scene in heaven. Chapters 6 through 9 is the tribulation or the great tribulation where God pours out his wrath on a Christ-rejecting world and he pours out his spirit upon Israel, bringing them home again to himself. Chapter 20 is the millennial reign or the thousand-year reign of Christ. 21 and 22 is new heaven and a new earth. Now you guys understand the book of Revelation. You may be seated. It's not a hard book to understand. It has its own divine outline. So I'm going to start taking pieces out of that, and you guys are going to have to fill them in as we go through and remember that. Revelation, let's get after it. Chapter 1, verse number 1. The revelation of Jesus Christ. Who's it a revelation of? How many of you guys have a King James Bible? And at the top of your Bible, it says the revelation of John the Apostle or something. The revelation of St. John the Divine, some of the uh, older translations say, well, actually, that wasn't in there by the Holy Spirit. It's written by man. And the first verse actually gets it right. It's the revelation of Jesus Christ. Now, we call it revelation, not revelations, because it's one thing that is being revealed. How many of you guys have ever seen a movie about the apocalypse? How many of you guys go way back and remember Apocalypse Now? Every one of them is about you know, the end of the world and destruction. But the word revelation or apocalypso in the Greek, it doesn't even mean that. What it means is the unveiling. It's as if I would have something here on the stage and a big curtain in front and everybody's anticipating. It's the new Bronco. It's the new Jeep that's being released. And the curtain is pulled and it is unveiled or revealed. And that's what the book of Revelation is. It's the revealing of none other than Jesus Christ. So if you've come hoping that in the book of Revelation, it's going to be about, you know, blood and guts and dying and four horsemen of the apocalypse and this and that and, you know, 90 pound hailstones crashing on earth. You're going to get that. But that's not what it's about. It's about Jesus. 
It's always about Jesus. It's all about Jesus. And today I'm super excited and passionate about this particular passage because we're going to get a description of Jesus that you're not going to get anywhere else in, your, in the Bible. As a matter of fact, Jesus of himself in all his years of ministry, he said one self-describing thing of his own, his own life. He said, I'm meek and lowly. Other than that, he never said anything about himself in self-describing. And here we're going to get um, a whole chapter of a revelation of who he is. And I, and I think if we can just for a moment today, I'm hoping to be able to put us maybe in John's shoes for just a moment as we get to the end of this chapter and, and feel who Jesus is. I don't want to steal my own thunder, but, you know, we get this kind of different picture, right? Jesus was in the flesh. And don't forget, the, the same guy who wrote this, he spent three years of his life living with Jesus, eating in the same places, sleeping in the same rooms, using the same restrooms, you know, doing life together with Jesus. He also saw Jesus post-resurrection as Jesus came back. John was there when, when the angels said to the disciples as Jesus was taken into heaven post-resurrection, why do men do you stand here gazing? This same Jesus who went up will come again. He will come back. And John was there for all of this. And so John is no stranger to Jesus. John is the same one, the author here, who, who laid his head on Jesus' bosom at the Last Supper. And, jo- and Jesus said of John, he's the beloved disciple. Do, do you realize when Jesus made that statement, he said in public, he loved John more than the other 11. And everybody says, oh, they, no, God doesn't love that way. God loves everybody the same. No, he doesn't. His love is great. But the Bible says, if you draw near to God, God will draw near to you. And, and, and relationally now, now just in a big picture of God's love, sure, you know, God loves everybody and God has great love. And we know that it's true that God can't love you any less or love you anymore. But there's a different dynamic to human relationship. And God has invited you and I into divine relationship with a living Savior. And that is an invitation. And you can be as close to Jesus as you want to be in your life, or you, will, you can keep Jesus at an arm's distance. You can keep him right out Side the front of your house. And then when things go bad, just crack the door and say, okay, Jesus, look, I don't want to let you in because some of the stuff I got going on, I don't really want you to change and mess with, but I need a little help. Can you just like throw your wallet under the door or something? You know, and, and we keep Jesus at bay. The Bible says, Jesus says to you and I to invite him in. He will come in and he will dine with you. And, and so many times we don't want dinner with Jesus. We just want what? Let's just go to Starbucks. I want Jesus in my life. I want him as a friend and a savior. And I want fire insurance because I kind of believe the whole heaven and hell thing is true. And if we're created, there's a creator. And and that kind of speaks to, and evolution doesn't make any sense to me. But but I, I don't really want Jesus to invade every part of my life. But I'll tell you what John the Apostle, the writer of Revelation, he had a different perspective on God and, and Jesus and in his relationship. When John first started, he was so far from God. Jesus jokingly calls him the son of thunder because him and his brother, they were in a town and Jesus was preaching and the people weren't receiving Jesus' message. And so John and his brother are like, Jesus, I got an idea. Remember Sodom and Gomorrah when you rained down fire from heaven and killed everybody? Let's do that to this town. He's like, come on, Jesus, I got a lawn chair. We'll, we'll, we'll sit over here and watch and you just get it going. And, and he wanted literally to kill the people in the town because Jesus, they wouldn't receive the word of Jesus. And then late in John's life, he writes to us 1st, 2nd, and 3rd John as an old man. 
He was probably the youngest disciple that was recruited by Jesus when he first met Jesus, because now it's the year 96 when he's writing this. He's probably in his 90s. But for the math to work, he would have had to have been like 15, 16 years old when Jesus called him and when he was a son of thunder and walked with Jesus as a disciple at 15, 16, 17, maybe 18 years old. And now he's gone through an entire life of doing ministry. He's the oldest apostle to live. He's the only one of the 12 apostles who didn't die a brutal death. And he writes to us at the end of his life over and over and over again, love one another, love one another, love one another. Jewish historian tells us a story, true story, I believe, that after John was exiled to the island of Patmos by, by the new Roman leader, Domitian, now Nero was in power when Jesus was on the cross, and then a guy by the name of Titus Vespasian took over as the Caesar of Rome, and he was the one in AD 70 that came and destroyed Jerusalem and sacked Israel and later Masada, and then at this time, 96, is, is Domitian. And Domitian is in control and in power, and he's, a, he's an evil guy. And, and John is exiled by, tried to be murdered. Domitian tried to kill him, dipping him in oil. It didn't work, like Daniel in the lion's den, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego in the fire. He came out of the oil, and his clothes weren't wet. And, and, and he was exiled then to the island of Patmos. Today, the island of Patmos is, is a beautiful little island off, off of Greece, a vacation spot. But in that day, it would have been a prison camp. And, and, and tradition tells us, history says that when John was old and he was done, and he wrote the book of Revelation, they let him come back. And when he came back, he would, they would bring him to speak to some of the churches. And of course, like if John the Apostle is preaching here next Sunday, I'm pretty sure you'd show up. I hope you would show up. If you wouldn't show up, then you're in trouble. <laughs> you, I, I was going to say it's hot where you're going, but I'm going to say that. Um, John would show up at these churches, big to do, crowded houses, standing room only, an old man. They said he spoke with a deep thundering voice, and that's maybe why Jesus called him Son of Thunder. And John would make his way up after the worship, and he would come to the pulpit, and he was frail and old and still spoke with his deep voice. And he would look at the audience and, and this big crowd that had gathered to see him and the flyers and the newspaper articles and everything that went all over announcing John was coming to speak to the congregation. And John, in his wisdom and in his age, he would look at the audience and he would begin to preach. And he would say, my dear children, love one another. And then he'd go sit down. And the impact of old man John's message was so powerful because that's all he really needed to tell you and I as believers is to love one another. If you love one another, you fulfill the will of God. And so much of, of God's life is covered. And that's who John is. And I said all of that, you guys, and I hope you didn't lose me where I'm headed because I'm really headed somewhere with all that. You're going to see John today interact with Jesus in a completely different way in this chapter. Again, walks with Jesus three years, there at the ascension, laying on Jesus' bosom at the, at the Last Supper, described as Jesus as being the closest, the one who loved Jesus the most. That's the only reason why Jesus loved John the most. It was just Jesus was just reciprocating. We all have that invitation to be where John was because Jesus reciprocates. And, and so, and, and today, completely different experience that John's going to have with Jesus, and we're going to get to it in a minute. And it says, um, verse 1, the revelation of Jesus Christ, which God gave, who gave it? Him, capital H or not. God gave it to Jesus to show his servants the things which, somebody say must, 
shortly take place. What do you mean shortly take place? This was written in 96 AD. That was 2,000 years ago. Well, yeah, if it was shortly going to take place 2,000 years ago, buckle up because it's got to be coming soon, right? And, and actually that word in the, in the Greek is, is a word that we would use to describe a tachometer today on, a, on an engine that revs up. And it, it just means once it begins to rev up, it's going to go and it's going to go quickly. And then it says, by his, er, excuse me, by his angel to his servant, Chris. Put your name there. Read that. And he sent and signified it by his angel to his servant, your name, who bore witness to the word of God and the testimony of Jesus Christ. You know what? There's certain places in the Bible when we say, you know, your name doesn't fit there. First Corinthians 13. That your name doesn't fit there. That's, that's where Jesus' name goes. In every place there. But this one you can actually, at least to some degree, you can put your name there. And you can have and hope to have the testimony that, 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 I, that I used my life to bear witness to the word of God and to the testimony of Jesus Christ. And, and then, then back to John here, verse 2, and to all things that he saw. Okay? Now, your, your life can be a witness for Jesus. How many of you guys have led somebody in your life to, the, to, the, to, to church, to Jesus, to, to salvation? Okay? Some hands going up. I don't necessarily need hands, but I'm, but I'm appreciating. I'm proud of you guys. And that's, the, that's our call. But I, but I think those of us that, that raised our hands, like God has gifted us a certain way and, and, and put you in an opportunity. I think those that don't raise their hands feel like, well, that's just not my personality. And, and God's just not gifted me that way. I'm, I'm used in other ways. And the Bible does say, right, Pastor Chris, that some people plant a seed and some people water the seed. And then those guys that just raise their hands, they get to harvest the seed. That's the way it works, right? Yes, absolutely. But listen, do you realize, do you guys know how exponential math works? I don't, but let me try to explain it the best I can. I heard a story about a, about a guy who did something for the king in India, and the guy said, as my, as my reward, what I want is I want you to get a checkerboard, and in square one, I want you to put one grain of rice. And in square two, I want you to double it. And in square three, I want you to double that and just cover the checkerboard, doubling each one. And the king said, wow, he told his head, head guy, well, that's easy. That's all he wants. He did something amazing for the king. And so the head guy starts to do the math, and he comes back, and he says, king, do you realize that by the time we get to square 30, there's not enough grain in all of India to fill the board because of exponential math, the way that quickly, the way that it goes. Well, if, if, if we duplicated ourselves this way, meaning that each person in here led one person to Jesus a year, Next year, our church would be what? Would be doubled. And the year after that, that double would double. And, and in 30 years, there wouldn't be enough people on planet Earth. That, that could start right here. And, and so again, um, but listen, you, you don't have to be a theologian. You don't have to be a pastor. H- how was John used to be a witness of Jesus? He just told people the things that he saw, it says. It says Jesus is going to give him a vision, and he's going to go and just tell people what Jesus did in his life. The Bible is going to say in the book of Revelation that we overcame Satan, how? By the blood of the Lamb and the power of our testimony. How many of you guys have a testimony? You can share your testimony. Share, for, share with people what Jesus did in your life, how he changed your life. My life used to be full of, ugh. And now, and now it's still full of, ugh, but I'm saved and I'm going to heaven. Jesus loves me and a little less, ugh, than there used to be. Different kinds of struggles in life, but God is good and Jesus is real. And so just sharing what it says. And then listen, verse three, 
Blessed is he who reads those who hear the words of this prophecy. And the next part says, and keep. Everybody say, look at your neighbor and say, and keep it, fool. Those things which are written in it, for the time is near, just like earlier, that the time is near. And again, if the time was near then, the time is near now. Now, we have this promise in verse 3. Listen, you don't find this promise anywhere else in Scripture. People argue about this. Oh, it's not this and that. Let's just take it at face value. You can believe what you want about the verse. I'm not telling you how to believe. So, So you read it. You ask the Holy Spirit what it means. But when I read it, and what, and what the camp that I fall in is just simply that God says there's a special blessing for those that read this book and those that do what it says in it. Now, it always just combined with read and do. James, what did James say about this subject? He said, be ye doers of the word and not hearers only. Um, in Psalms, um, we have a promise. In Joshua, listen, you guys want to be successful in life? How many of you guys want to be rich? Listen, let me ask you this, honest question. If I had a legit get-rich scheme, you guys have seen them all, right? How many of you guys have signed up for them, pyramid schemes? Anybody? Come on, let's have a few hands. Who, who's done them? Anybody get rich? The tithe box is right there if you did. No, I'm just kidding. Um, so what if I had one of those and I said, hey, I, 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 this one's guaranteed proven results. How many of you guys would sign up? If I guaranteed it, you knew it, you believed it, it was true, not just too good to be true. If, if you got half a brain, you'd all say, yes, I'm in. Well, listen, I got three of them in the Bible that are that simple promise success in your life. Promise not only success, but one of the only places in the Bible that God promises for you prosperity. And not like the prosperity gospel and not that you get a new Cadillac. I don't preach that nonsense, okay? That prosperity comes, it can come in financial blessing. But but more than a financial blessing, prosperity comes in joy in our lives. Are you happy in your skin? Jesus can bring that. Jesus can do that in your life. But listen, listen to this. So here's my get rich scheme. All right, you guys ready? You guys going to sign up for my class? It's on sale today, $99.99. Okay, make the checks payable to uh, Schmuck Pastor. Verse 8. Look at Joshua chapter 1, verse 8. This book of the law shall not depart from your mouth, but you shall meditate in it day and night, and that you may observe to do. Everybody say to do. Don't say do do. Say to do. So again, you have this combined, just like in Revelation 1, you have this combined um, a, a call and this combined prescription with reading. And then you can't just read the Bible. But there is a blessing for reading it. But understanding that when you read it, then you do what it says and you believe what it says. But it says if you do that. So all you got to do, that's all you got to do in my class. You got to get up in the morning. This is, you guys think we made up read your Bible and pray every day? We haven't done it in a while. Just indulge me one time, please. Do it with me. Read your Bible and pray every day. Life-changing because it's right out of the Bible. And, and that's, that's all this is saying. If you'll read your Bible and pray every day, you'll start your day with Jesus, you'll end your day with Jesus, that you'll do those things that you're reading and practice those things with the power of the Holy Spirit working through your life. Listen to what God says. Verse, are you guys, I don't know if you turned there with me. Anyways, Joshua 1.8, look what it says. For then you will make your way prosperous and you will have good success, a promise of God's word. How many of you guys want prosperity and good success in your life? Open your Bible. Get on your knees. Listen, that's not the only time in the Word of God. Psalms chapter 1 backs it up. And King David says this. And I think when, 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 when God's getting ready to start the Psalms, and the Holy Spirit's like, okay, today we're going to write the book of Psalms, and we're going to get this going. But the first chapter, man, it's got to hit hard because it's, it's got to set the tone. And this one hits hard. He says, 
Blessed is the man who walks not in the counsel of the ungodly, nor sits in in the seat of the scornful, nor stands in the path of sinners, but his delight is in the law of God or in the Bible, in the word of God. Same means the same thing, the law, all those different words, they all interchange. But his delight is in the law of the Lord, and in his law he meditates day and night. Doesn't that sound like Joshua 1, 8? Meditate day and night, be careful to do all that's in it, prosperity and success. Psalms 1, same thing. A little bit different twist because in Psalms 1, he takes the negative and he says, Do not walk in the path of the scornful. Do not sit in the seat of the scornful. Stand in the path of the sinner. And so again, where do you receive your counsel from? There's a warning against that. You know, I caution you ladies, but it's good for all of us. Do you have a best friend? Ladies talk more than guys do, okay? It's, it's all right. It's life. It's the way it is. You got more words to use in a day and you use them. And, and, but listen, if your best friend, if your bestie you grew up with, you've been with your whole life, if, if that person is not a believer in Jesus Christ, you cannot, as a believer in Jesus, receive counsel from them. You can be friends with them. You can do life with them to some extent. But not when it comes to advice for how you live your life. That comes from godly people. And the Psalms tells us that. Blessed is he who walks not in the seat of the scornful. I, I, I know this verse by heart, and I can't quote it for my life right now. Blessed is the man who walks not in the counsel of the ungodly, nor stands in the path of sinners, nor sits in the seat of the scornful. But his, the law is in the law, his delight is in the law of the Lord, and in his law he meditates day and night. He shall be like a tree planted by the rivers of many water that brings forth fruit in season, whose leaf shall not wither, and whatever he does shall prosper. Another promise of prosperity in the Bible that's not the prosperity gospel? Amen, right? God loves you guys. He, it's okay for you to prosper. Um, but, the, but the recipe is different. I, you know, I can't go to church things. I've got to go to work. I, I can't be involved in Bible studies and do, do church things or do God things, do Jesus things, because my life is busy and I've got to provide. Man, you're, you're, you're providing, but you're putting your money in a bag with holes in it. And you could keep putting your money in a bag with holes in it, or you could do it God's way. Start supporting a missionary. Open your Bible. Start every day with Jesus. You guys think I'm crazy? Like, Tony Robbins ain't got nothing on Jesus. I'm telling you right now. Okay? Hey, um, we're never going to finish, so let's go back and try to jam a little bit. But, hey, I wanted to, to pass that. Verse 3, I believe it is a promise for those that read this thing. Meditate on it a little bit. And, listen, I always encourage you guys, please read ahead. Read with us. Read before you get here on a Sunday morning. I'm in Chapter 1 today. I'll be in Chapter 2 tomorrow. Chapter 3 the next week. You can know where we're going. Maybe you get rambunctious and you just read the entire book of Revelation a couple times this week. Maybe try it out. This one doesn't necessarily come with a test like the other one in the Bible, but maybe test it and just start reading the book of Revelation and see if you get blessed. See if there really is a blessing for those that read and hear and do the things that are written in it. Verse 4. Oh, I've got to tell a story about Josh first before we move on to 4. Josh Parker made his announcement, our youth pastor. When, when him and I, you know, I was Josh's children's pastor when Josh was in elementary school. I'm not dating myself. But Josh came up through my, and the way we did um, church back home is we did children's church. So I had the third through sixth graders, and I would teach them a chapter of the Bible every Sunday. And so what I would do is I would just follow what Pastor Gerald was teaching to the adults in big church. I would teach to the third through sixth graders. Well, Pastor Gerald was getting ready to start a new series in Revelation. And I'm like, how am I going to communicate Revelation to third through sixth graders? So I say, Dad, we can't do that. We're going to have to do something. I said, no, you can do it. It's great. Just teach them Revelation. I'm like, okay. So, 
So anyway, so we did. So we, 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 and it was super successful. And when Josh, I had a conversation with Josh when we were talking about coming, he's like, I still remember that study you did in Revelation from when he was, well, I don't know, third, fourth, he would have been third, fourth, fifth, or sixth grade. But it, it, he said it changed my life. And, and it made an impact on me. And I still remember it. And so there is a blessing. There is a huge blessing. Verse 4. John to the seven churches which are in Asia. Now that's not China, Japan, Asia Minor, which is modern day Turkey, where these seven churches that, that, that were there through, through history and, and in this time. It says, John to the seven churches which are in Asia, grace and peace from him. Is that a capital H? Who does that mean? Jesus can be God. In this instance, we know we're because spoiler alert's coming up, is Jesus. But, hey, we, we traditionally, this is a question for church folks. What do we call grace and peace, that greeting? What do we call that? A certain type of greeting. It's a Pauline greeting, right? Don't we say that grace and peace is a Pauline greeting? But I got to tell you, this is Jesus talking, and what does he say? Grace and peace. So this is a Jesus greeting. And where did Paul get it? He got it from Jesus. You know, sometimes I'm quoting the Bible, and it's something that Paul wrote, and I'll say, well, Jesus said, and then I'll, I'll say something that Paul said, and I'll try to correct myself. Oh, no, no, that was Paul, or that was John, or something. And, and I realized I stopped doing that, because I'm like, really? Really? Jesus wrote the whole thing. He dictated it to him. He gave it to him. So if John wrote it, or Peter wrote it, or Paul wrote it, and I say Jesus said, it still works. It's all good. So my preaching's not bad. My theology is just good. <laughs> to him who, who is, and who was, and who is to come, from the seven spirits who are before the throne of God. So there's this greeting, and the first part of the greeting is from seven spirits who are um, in front of the throne of God. So you have this picture of the throne of God, and around it is these seven spirits. What are these seven spirits? I have no idea. Um, I, I, I'll give you what some people say they are, what it is, and probably maybe somebody knows better than I do. But I'll just tell you, as we go through the book of Revelation, when I don't know something for myself that I believe in that I can sleep at night well saying that is from me, I'll just tell you I don't know, or this is what John says, and Rabbi Bob and Rabbi Paul this is what they believe about it. But on this one, I really don't know or really know how to understand this. One, one of the popular opinions is that this is, and I do like this because what you're going to see here is Father, and then in the next verse, well, not in that order, but Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Holy Spirit, Jesus, and then the Father. So you do get the, the Trinity right here, which it totally makes sense that this is a, re, a, a reference to the Holy Spirit. In Isaiah, it says the Holy Spirit has seven different um, ministries, and they're listed in Isaiah. I'm not going to go there because I'm running out of time, but it's, um, it's in Isaiah 11.2, the seven manifold spirits of God, and it lists Isaiah 11.2, seven different, um, not personalities, seven different um, ministries that the Holy Spirit does in your life. And so it's very possible that that's a reference to that and to the Holy Spirit or not. Um, and then it says in verse 5, and from Jesus, the faithful witness. Now we're going to get this first beginning description of Jesus. And the first thing that, that it says of him is that he's a faithful witness. He's the first for the second thing. He's the firstborn from the dead. What does that mean? Jesus wasn't the first one to rise from the dead. What about Lazarus and um, other people in the Old Testament and um, in the New Testament, there was three people that were raised from the dead. This, this Jesus, all those people that were raised from the dead in the flesh, Lazarus and those others in the Bible, what eventually happened to those folks? They died. Jesus was the first one who died and was resurrected into his resurrection body, the one that we are yet to receive. And so he's the preeminent one. He's the firstborn of the dead, the very first one in, in human history to, to receive that and go through the process the way that Jesus did. 
and, and that that's yet future for us. And then it says, um, the ruler over kings of the earth. You guys remember Nebuchadnezzar in the book of Revo- uh, Daniel, which I told you guys would parallel the revelation. Th- this story is played out in Nebuchadnezzar's life. He sees a vision, and, and it's a vision of a, of a statue with a head of gold and, and then um, arms and, uh, and chest of silver and brass, and it goes down to iron and feet of iron and clay, and, and he's told he is the head of gold. And, and, and that there's going to be other kingdoms that are going to succeed him. Well, ten years later, Nebuchadnezzar makes a statue of solid gold from top to bottom to defy what God said, that successive kingdoms were going to come because he was the greatest king that ever lived, and Babylon was the greatest city in antiquity. And God humbles him. And in the next chapter, he's out in the field eating the grass like an ox and his nails are growing over. And then eventually we see in Daniel where Nebuchadnezzar, this great king, develops this relationship and is humbled by God. And God is just trying to prove one point to this great king in antiquity, a a historical story that God is the one who sets up rulers and takes them down. Now, we, we, I, I think I get a lot more political today than I used to. I used to maybe say I'm not political, but I'll tell you what's changed in 2020 and recently in my life as a pastor is that the, the politics of our day are not the politics of 1996. The politics of our day have become a spiritual battle. And, and there's just evil in them, and we have to address that evil. And, and we have to be able to say what, what side is right and wrong. And, you know, I have had, oh, Jesus was not a Democrat or a Republican. He loves them both. I'm not sure that's true, but um, no, I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding. He loves them both. He loves them both. One just has evil intentions, all right? Um, But God is the one. What I meant to say, I got off track. What I meant to say was as believers, we don't care who's in the White House. You know, I didn't, I didn't vote for Obama. I really didn't want him to be president. I was afraid of what he might bring and what do, what he might do. But when he got elected, I didn't freak out. I didn't worry about it. So what? Jesus is still on the throne. Guess what happened? Eight years of Obama. Guess what happened? We survived, right? You know, we'll survive old Sleepy Joe too. You know, like it's, it's okay. It's okay. He's going to come out of the closet every once in a while and say some stupid things and we'll survive. We'll survive because he's not on the throne and we don't have to worry about those things. Jesus is on the throne. Yes, we should have an opinion. Yes, we should fight against the, the evil um, politics and policies that are affecting our children, would not believe what's going on in the schools in California right now that's, that's already more progressive than what you've heard in sexual education and in, and in this progressive left agenda that is being pushed through California schools today. I don't got time to preach it, but um, Jack Hibbs is actually, if you're interested, Jack Hibbs is teaching through a series. And, and follow Jack's sermons the next couple of weeks. He'll, he'll, he'll talk about it. Um, all right, going on. Jesus is the one who sets up and tears down. That's why we don't worry about those things, right? Um, where am I at? Where am I at? To him who loved us and washed us from our sins in his own blood. Nobody makes me bleed my own blood. Um, that word says loved. Does any of your translations say there in that verse, um, instead of a D and S, loves us? Yeah, it says loves us. Okay, some of the newer translations say loves us. Technically, the Greek is loved, past tense. And so they wanted to help the, the, the Greek uh, hear out, and so they changed it to loved uh, or loves. But technically, it is loved, and, and it's past tense. Does that mean what he's saying, Pastor, that Jesus doesn't love us today? No, Jesus loves you. That's biblical. But, but this is talking about Jesus loved you because love is an action, not an emotion. 
And what was the action that shows Jesus' absolute love for you? You know, you, you can look out. The Bible says that the firmament shows the handiwork of God. And that, and that, you know, for most of us, if you can go out and you can see the most beautiful sunset and mountains covered in snow with waterfalls coming down them and green and rivers underneath them and, and the sky above them, you know, glowing in colors and you see that and animals on them, you can say, wow, God's creation is amazing. God is absolutely uh, an amazing God. And that talks about a creator God. But what that mountain doesn't tell you is, does that God love you? In order to know if God really loves you, God had to demonstrate it in in sending his own son to do what? To die on a cross. And so Jesus loved you when he died on a cross. And, And his love is demonstrated for you in action when he died on a cross. Husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church. Take that home and eat it for lunch today, husbands. As Christ loved the church, what do you mean? He died on a cross for them. You want me to die on a cross for my wife while she's spitting on me and hitting me and whipping me with a cat of nine tails? Yeah, that's what the Bible says. Love her that way. And you'll watch her, you'll watch her explode and blossom like a flower. And that's an incredible type of love. But love is an action, not a, not a verb. I'm not teaching marriage today. That's next week. Um, <laughs> verse 6 says, And he made us kings and priests to his God and Father. And there we get the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit in these verses 4 through 6. Um, to him. So listen, you're a king and a priest. First Peter, if you're taking notes, okay? Um, First Peter, chapter 2, he says that, that God has made you a priesthood. As a believer in Jesus Christ, you've been given authority in Christ as a priest and a king. Don't let anybody ever tell you, you have to have some degree or be some bishop or this or that to do baptisms, to preach, to, to lay hands on people, to receive the Holy Spirit. To baptize people. Every time I baptize people in public here, somebody comes up to me and says, Oh, where do you get your authority to baptize? I say, I get it from Jesus. And you have the same authority as a believer in Jesus Christ. It has nothing to do with being a pastor or having a degree. It has to be doing being, being filled with the Holy Spirit of God. Then go out and do the ministry of God. And the Bible's clear. You read this verse for yourself. God has made you a priest. You mean I've got to wear one of those things and make the sign of the cross and throw holy water on people like that? No. No, do the work of the ministry. Do the work of a priest of sharing the gospel. And, and wherever God calls you and uses you, you go for it, and you go for it knowing that you do it in the authority of Jesus Christ. Amen? Amen. You've been given that authority. And, and in verse 7 it says, Behold, oh, somebody. Come on, somebody preach it like an old Baptist pastor. He's coming up on there or something like that. I don't know. Jesus is coming. Hey, the Bible is so plain and clear, you guys. Don't give me no nonsense and this and that. Look, if you can read English and you can just read the New Testament, I'll tell you what it's about. I'll save you the time. No, I don't want to save you time because I want you to read it. Hundreds of times, statements just like this one over and over again. Look, here's the whole story of the Bible. The world's messed up. God's going to send somebody to save that. He's going to be born as a baby in a manger. That's the Old Testament. New Testament, his life, he's born, his life, he dies. Guess what the rest of the New Testament is about? He's coming back. Okay? Doesn't make you Jesus freak or fanatic if you out talent people. Jesus is coming. It's coming quickly. We already read. It's a tachometer. When it revs, it's going to rev fast. And he's coming quickly. And he is coming back. And so be ready. And the Bible talks about in Jude that about the imminent, imminence. I always get this wrong. The imminent return of Jesus Christ. That, that, that means that you have to be constantly in a state of ready. 
which means he could come back at any moment. No prophecy has to be yet fulfilled. They've all been fulfilled. Jesus could come back at any moment and being ready. And listen, the day will come. There, there came a day after Noah preached for 120 years that water was going to come and destroy planet Earth and kill everybody on it, that the door of the ark closed and the flood waters began. And for 120 years, they mocked Noah. And Noah was a preacher of righteousness. Can you imagine pastoring a church for 120 years faithfully and nobody ever came? How many, how many years before you quit that ministry? You go get a day job, painting houses or something. And, and, and 120 years. But the day did come. And the day is going to come. And I believe very soon. And you need to be ready. You need to be ready. Well, you stick around here if you're not sure what's coming. Just stick around and see what's coming for those who don't believe as, as, as God pours out his, finally his wrath upon a Christ-rejecting world. And, and, and if you're in Christ, you're under his umbrella and you've not been appointed to wrath and you have nothing to worry about. And then it says, but he is coming. And with the clouds and every eye will see him, even they who pierced him and all the tribes of the earth will mourn because of him. Even so, amen. Jesus is writing this, dictating this through John, and he's like, his own preaching is so good, he keeps amening himself. Amen. He's like, oh, yeah, that's good. Amen. He, he didn't even have a crowd. It says that every eye will see him. Now, when, when we get into, like, theology, right, this is specifically talking about the second coming. Because in the second coming, Jesus is going to come on a white horse, and who's going to see him? Everybody. In the rapture, which sometimes gets confused with the second coming, and it doesn't matter. We say Jesus is coming again, second coming. We know what we're talking about. But there are two specific biblical events. The rapture, Jesus comes in the cloud. Not everybody sees him. The church is caught up. Those, those dead in Christ will rise first. Those alive in Christ, dead in Christ will rise first. Those of us alive remain will be called to meet the Lord in the air. Hallelujah. Amen. Um, that's a different event. This is the second coming. Or, and, and you guys know when this happens, right? When the second coming of Jesus happens. Uh, Revelation chapter 19 at the battle of Armageddon, right? That's the second coming of Jesus. Um, and it says, even they who pierced him. In this, in this idea, who, who, who are those that pierced him? It was the Jews. And, and it says, even they will see him. Zechariah prophesied that, that when the Jews see Messiah, they'll say to him, where, where did you get those wounds in your arms and in your hands? And they'll say, I got those in the house of my friends. And, and, and that, that, that Jesus will come and even they who pierced him will see him. Now, again, the, the, the seven-year tribulation detailed in Revelation 6 through 19, it's Jewish. It's Jewish from day one to the last day. And I do want to wrap up with this. I think it's super important that we, that we cover this um, little thing here. But turn with me, if you will. Look, look at this, you guys. These are all the scripture references, different places I was going to cover today. I covered like three of them. There's like six left. We're not going to finish. But I am going to take a few extra minutes because Gary took a long time on his announcement. <laughs> I'm just kidding, Gary. I'm just kidding, Gary. I just need any excuse to go a couple extra minutes, dude. Um, turn with me to Daniel really quick, okay? I've taught this before, but I, I think it's important that, that you guys know this. And it's, it's really kind of, again, what might feel like, Oh, man, I, I can't understand this or, or catch this. But, de but Revelation 6 through 19, it details the seven-year tribulation period. Now, I, I sometimes get caught in myself with semantics because, you know, the, the actual correct theology is that the first three and a half years is called the tribulation. The second three and a half years, 
which is marked, coincidentally, what we'll read here in Daniel, by the abomination of desolation, is called the Great Tribulation. So when we're talking about that seven-year period, it actually has two names. Tribulation, the first three and a half years, Great Tribulation. If you can read the first half and believe it can get worse, it can, and it does. But really quickly, um, everybody's with me, Daniel? We're doing a group Bible study here now, right? That includes you guys that got here early and got the seats in the back. Okay? All right, hands up back there. All right, good. Okay, verse 24 says how many weeks? I didn't say, I'm sorry, Daniel 9. How can you, you guys are like, yeah, we're with you, we're with you. And then I start reading, oh, what chapter? It was my bad, I didn't tell you, but then you got caught lying in church. Okay, verse Daniel 9, 24, first two words, help me out. 70 weeks. This is a prophetic model of God's people, Okay. Now look at verse, I don't have time to walk through it all. You can do it for yourself, but verse 25, there shall be in the middle there. You guys see that? There shall be how many weeks? Seven weeks and, okay, mathematicians, help me out. Seven plus 62 is how many? I said mathematicians. Seven plus 62 is how many? 69. Verse 24 says how many weeks we're, we're looking for? How many weeks are we missing? Hey, that is called in the Bible, in biblical prophecy, the 70th week of Daniel. It's missing in this prophecy. It's not missing. It's just yet future. 69 of these weeks have been fulfilled in human history. And then God pulled one of the, the weeks out, and it's a heptag. In, 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 the, in the Hebrew, it's, it's a week of weeks. In other words, it's a seven-year period. Those, those days in that week are actually years. So you have seven days, which equals seven years. It's a seven-year period of human history that's pulled out of Daniel chapter 9 and is missing. Where did it go? It went to Revelation 6 through 19, chapter 6 through 19. It's detailed for you what's going to happen and where the 70th week of Daniel goes. Okay? Now look with me, if you will, at verse 27. And it says, Then he shall confirm a covenant with many for how long? Or seven years. One week is seven years. Okay, that's consistent all the way through this. Um, seven years. Who is the one that's going to confirm a covenant with many for seven years? It's the Antichrist. Okay, so the Antichrist is raises on the power raises the power after the rapture. As a believer, you never know who the Antichrist is. Stop guessing. He won't be revealed till the church is gone. The Antichrist comes up. And what he's going to do is he's going to trick Israel to believe that he is their coming and much-weighted Messiah. You go to Israel today and you talk to an Orthodox rabbi, an Orthodox Jew, and you say, what are you looking for for the return of your Messiah? And the number one thing, you know what they want in Israel? 8,000 rockets were fired at them last month. What do you think they would like? A little peace. They've never had peace. May 14, 1948, they became a country and immediately eight, eight Muslim countries surrounding them attacked them and went to war. And it's not stopped ever since. And they have bomb shelters and, 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 and neighbors all around them that with any given moment will, will fire rockets in. 8,000 rockets last month fired into Israel. They want peace. So you ask the Orthodox rabbis and, and those, what will Messiah bring? He'll bring peace. What, what will the Antichrist bring in this, in this chapter and in this verse? A peace treaty for seven years. They'll say he's our guy. And then, and, then, and then it says, go read on verse 27, but in the middle of the week, he shall bring an end to sacrifice and offering, and on the wing of abomination shall be one who makes desolate, even until the consummation, which is determined, is poured out on the desolate. 
You guys, the, the words are mixed up there. Jesus just put them together for us. And Jesus said, when you see, talking to the Jews now, when you see the abomination of desolation spoken of by Daniel the prophet, flee. That's what Jesus says. It's, it's where the Antichrist, who makes a seven-year peace treaty with Israel, goes into the rebuilt Jewish temple. Listen, we can't be in the tribulation. There's no temple and no Antichrist. So even your friends who say we're going to go into part of it or post, you know, we're brothers in Christ. It's not a key issue for we're all going to the same heaven. We're just going to get there sooner than they think we are. But if they have you going into the tribulation, in order for these prophecies to work out the way they are, there has to be a temple in Israel. Because here it says that this Antichrist is going to go into the temple at the three and a half year mark, and he's going to cause abomination in the temple of, of a holy, the most holy place in Israel. Do you know why there's no temple in Israel today? Israel has plenty of money, plenty of room. There's a place on Temple Mount about 400 yards from the Dome of the Rock today called the Temple Mount Institute. And to this day, they are building the actual artifacts that are going to go into the new rebuilt temple. You can go see them. And they're not replicas. They're the actual things that when the temple goes up, will go into. The menorah's done. They're all done. They're training priests. They're practicing animal sacrifices, sheep sacrifices, and the things they need to, to institute the law of Moses and temple worship. But, but the problem that, that, is, that Judaism has to this day, and, and you talk to a Jewish friend and ask him about this. In order, they, they say they follow the law of Moses to have peace with God, right? They're still relating to God based on the law of Moses. But according to the law of Moses, you have to have animal, animal sacrifices for God to forgive your sins and take the blood of the lamb and, and place it on the altar. And they have no temple, so they can't do sacrifices because they have to be done in the temple. And you say, why don't they just make a temple? Why don't they just build a temple? They had, they had the land since 1948, and now they have Jerusalem, and their embassy, the United States embassy is there, and everything's good now, and besides the rockets coming in, they got plenty of land. Because they will not rebuild the temple, or it doesn't count, unless it's on the GPS location where the Holy of Holies exists, where Solomon built it, where the Ark of the Covenant sat, that exact spot where the Shekinah glory resided. If it's not in that exact GPS location, it doesn't count. And right now, that's the Temple Mount where the Dome of the Rock is. The Dome of the Rock could either be in the way or the, or the temple could go just next to it and, and still work. But, but they don't have a temple today, and so they can't do sacrifices. But it's going to happen. And, and the Antichrist is going to go into the Holy of Holies and, and tear down the worship of, God, of Yahweh, of God, and he's going to erect something that where he's going to be worshipped as God. And it's at that point the Jews are going to flee. Jesus said, pray that, that your flight not be on Shabbat. Pray that you not be pregnant or nursing in those days. Now, how many of you guys, if you're, if it says, he says, don't go, um, just don't go back up to the top of the house and get what you need. How many of you guys build houses on top of your houses? Like you have your house and then your kids have the next floor. That's how they do it in Israel. So unless you live in Israel and unless this, would, how many of you guys would, the, would, would Sabbath slow you down for travel? Most of you guys don't even know what Sabbath is or what day it is. It's yesterday. It's on Saturday. But, but again, it's Jewish. I'm just making a point that it's Jewish. So anyways, the Antichrist goes in. He, he sets up the, the, the um, desecrates it. That's when the mark of the beast comes in, three and a half year mark. All right, back to Revelation. Let's finish at least verse eight today, then we're done. I think we're right there, okay? So the rest of verse seven. So I just want you to put it in that context, right? Revelation, where does the tribulation detail? Revelation chapters what? 6 through 19. Everybody, you got to know this stuff. Chris, Revelation 6 through 19. We got it? 
Revelation what? 6 through 19. That's the seven years, okay? The end of verse 7, he says, and all the tribes of the earth will mourn. Why will they mourn? Oh, I really needed to preach the second half of this chapter to tell you. I really did, honestly, because when they see Jesus, you know, when they see Jesus, when John sees Jesus, it says that I needed to get to it today to end the sermon, and there's no way I'm going to finish it. It says that, that when John sees and perceives who's talking to him, do you remember when, oh, I can't get started off, I'll keep going, but all right, real quick. Do you remember when, when, when Jesus um, appeared to Mary after his resurrection, and she, she thought he was the gardener? Where have you taken him? She said, she looked right at him and she said, you know, gardener, where did you take him? Just tell me, I'll go get the body. It's okay. And Jesus looked at her and he said, Mary. And she went nuts. She started grabbing him. She started grabbing him. He's like, don't yet cling to me. I've not yet risen. And it was just that word. It was just that one little familiarity she needed. And she said, he said, Mary. And as soon as he said her name, she just knew that was Jesus. And John is going to have that moment here in in the end of this chapter. He's going to hear a voice. He's going to hear a trumpet. And then he's going to perceive. The Greek word means when it says that he hears, he perceives who it is. And it says he turns and he sees Jesus. And I already told you guys, he, he's seen Jesus a hundred times, a million times. He lived with the guy for three years. And he just, he just has this spontaneous burst and he falls on his face. He doesn't know what to do. How many of you guys have ever said something stupid? I have, like, when I, get to, when I get to heaven, i got a bone to pick with God. I'm going to ask him why there are these mosquitoes are, you know, biting me all the time and why he made tomatoes because they're nasty and i got a bone to pick with that big old man upstairs when I get there. Shut up. You ain't going to pick no bone. You ain't got a bone to pick with God. When you see God, you're going to fall on your face and hope that he don't turn you into ash. And there's going to be no criticism of God when you see him. And John has that experience in this chapter, and it's so good. It's so good. He just sees Jesus. And again, like, if it's, if it's a complete stranger to Jesus, it's not as powerful. Because then there's, like, this unfamiliarity that creates that. But John has absolute more familiarity with Jesus than anybody. Anybody, really. Even the Apostle Paul. Anybody ever to live in skin. And John's reaction is just, oh, Lord, what can I do for you? Can I serve you, God? I want to know you, Jesus. And then Jesus begins to give him this revelation that we'll catch next week. Amen? All right, thanks. Let's stand together. We've had the worship team come up. I don't care if it's 1140. Maybe like a, we got, can we do a song, half song, three-quarter song, song? Come on up, worship. Don't worry. The sinners are going to leave. Uh, Christians are going to stay for this last song. Hey, the children's ministry is going to be fine today. They knew we were going to be a few minutes over with announcements and stuff today, so the kids will be fine. When we're done, you can go grab them. But, hey, we want to, we, we're all going to see Jesus one day. You know, one of the things that motivates me as a pastor, one of the things that I, I try to, like, psych myself up about is that, 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 the Bible says that, that as, as believers, that our works and what you do for Christ are going to be tried at a judgment. Now, there's a different judgment in the Bible called the Great White Throne Judgment. We'll get to it at the end of Revelation. And everybody who goes to the Great White Throne Judgment, what happens to them? 100% of them go to hell, the Bible says. There's a different judgment that's, that's not for non-believers. It's for believers. And it's a different, 
type of judgment. It's not about going to heaven or hell. For people that are already saved and going to heaven. And it's called the Bema Seat of Christ. And it says there in, in, in that judgment that the things that we did for Christ that last, we're going to receive a reward for. And the things that we did with the wrong motive and, oh, yeah, I went to church, but, you know, my heart was in the wrong place or I gave to this. And it's, it's based on the motive that, that God is going to bless in our lives and the works that we do for him. And that Bema Seat judgment is described as a fire that, that your works are going to go through and the wood, hay, and stubble is going to burn up and the gems, the gold, silver is going to go through and refine and come out as your reward. And so I always imagine this like conveyor belt and, and Jesus is there and he's putting all of my good works on this, on, on this belt. And, and on that day, I'm going to see Jesus for the first time and I'm going to want to have something to offer. And maybe there's going to be a line waiting to get up to Jesus. And, and there's going to be people in that line and they're going to be just like, you know, Billy Graham's going to be there and he's going to need a U-Haul to carry all of his stuff that, that Jesus is going to have to refine. And then there's going to be that, you know, that little old lady that's going to have 10 times as much as Billy Graham because she spent her whole life in obscurity, but she prayed like nobody's business for Billy Graham. And her reward is even greater. And she's there and she's got U-Hauls worth of stuff waiting. And then there's that one guy in the line and maybe the thief on the cross is in the line. What do you think the thief on the cross has to offer on that day? Nothing. He's still going to go to the same heaven you and I are, walk on the streets of gold, but unfortunately he never, never gave us, never walked with Jesus in his life. And he's going to have nothing. And I think, you know what, God, I don't want to be the guy with nothing on that day. And then, you know what, that, that conveyor belt and that fire that the Bible describes, we're going to see Jesus. If I would have got to it, it's going to say that when John, John saw Jesus, he had eyes of fire, as of fire, And maybe there's no conveyor belt and there's no fire. Maybe just look in Jesus in the eyes. And when you see the eyes of Jesus for the first time, you're going to see for the first time true love. Nobody ever can nor will love you the way that those eyes will look at you that day with no regret, no remorse, nothing. Only pure, absolute love of agape, God love for your life. And when you see those eyes of Jesus, it's going to melt your heart because you're going to know what love of God is. And that's a reality in history in your life, in your future. You're going to be there. And, and so that should motivate us, right? And it, it's kind of ethereal and it's kind of like out there, but it's a reality and somehow we got to try to translate it so that it affects our lives. It affects what we do every day. It affects who we are. So I want to give you guys, listen, an opportunity. Maybe there's somebody in here and you don't know Jesus today. Maybe you came today and I don't know whatever reason. People come different times. I see new people. I see old people. Maybe some of you old people need Jesus. You've been sitting here every day, but you need Jesus. And listen, I don't want to make it like, oh, you're a bad person. You come and get Jesus. That, that's not it at all. We all need Jesus. But I'll tell you, something does happen if you'll get out of your seat and you'll just come up so we can pray for you. And so as we sing this next song, I'm going to ask you to come. Maybe you want to rededicate your life to God. Maybe you want to just, just ask Jesus in the heart for the first time. Maybe you just, God has been, been calling you. And listen, as I, as I tell everybody, we're running out of time, but don't just come. If the Holy Spirit tells you to come, be obedient. You know what usually happens? The Holy Spirit's telling you to come, and you're like, oh, I'm embarrassed, or I don't want to come. And the Holy Spirit keeps prompting you. And the next thing you know, you look down, and you're standing in front of me, and you're like, oh, how did I get here? <laughs> just come. If God's calling you. Let it be real. And it's, there's no real super magic. I'll tell you that the magic that happens in the work of the Holy Spirit is when you decide to leave your seat and just come up and say yes to Jesus. I'll pray for you at the end, a simple prayer, but the magic will already be done by then. So if God is calling you, be bold. Jesus said to not be ashamed of the gospel. And Jesus said, if you're ashamed of me in front of other people, I'll be ashamed of you in front of my father. And you don't want to be that guy either. 
There's nothing to be ashamed about. If God's calling you for any reason to come, you just come. And the church will clap when they see you come. They'll be full of joy to see God working in your life for whatever reason. And nobody needs to know what reason you're coming out. And I won't ask you when you get here. It just leads you in a simple prayer. But if you need to get your life right with Jesus, I want you to come. Maybe you need a physical healing. You can come as well. Maybe you just want God to touch your life. You come, and we're going to pray for you at the end of this song. So you come as we sing this last song. Then we'll pray, and we'll be done for today.